Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I'm Zach. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. We are the Classic Gaming Brothers. And welcome to the new year, 2022. Is that? That's right. Is that, yeah, yeah. yeah, 2022. 2022. There's a zero in there somewhere. There's a zero in there somewhere. This will be the closest we'll ever get to being in a year that has almost all twos. That's right. Because by the time 2222 happens, we'll be dead. Our clones might still be making the podcast. That's true. So this is our first podcast episode of the new year. This is our second, truly our second year. We did start in 2019, but we started in like December of 2019. Mm, yeah. So yeah, it doesn't really count. I mean, it counts for us. So we thought since this was the beginning of the year and we didn't, I don't, we really didn't do any like holiday special or any celebration of our two year anniversary. We thought we would do that today in this episode, episode 109, yeah. because why not? We're all thinking about the year in retrospection. So we thought we would do a top 10 retro list because there's not enough of those around that we thought yeah. we would do our own. And so we we will be later on in this episode going over two different lists because we like to be difficult and they are not Zachary's and my list because that would make sense. No, no. We're going to talk about top 10 retro consoles and top 10 retro PC games. In our top 10 retro console games, not top 10 retro consoles. Yes, retro games. And they're going to be our top 10. And they're our top 10 in the moment. So maybe if we did this again, we would do it differently. <laughs> That's right. But probably not. <laughs> no, no, I certainly would. Anyway, before we get started into that, let's talk about what we've been recently been playing. So, Zach, what have you been recently been playing? Seth, recently I have been playing Xenocrisis. Uh, Xenocrisis came out in 2019. It was developed and published by Bitmap Bureau. It's a twin-stick shooter, very similar to Smash TV, but uh, more inspired by the movie Aliens. Uh, in the game, you play as space marines. You have the choice between either a uh, male or a female space marine, or you can play as both if it's two players and you have to go through different levels of a facility killing off aliens in each room you go into um, and you also have to save people who have been taken captive by the aliens uh, the game was originally released in 2019 for the sega genesis and ports were made to windows linux dreamcast xbox one ps4 playstation vita switch the evercade and the neo geo i have been playing the evercade version uh, which came on a cartridge with a copy of tanglewood which is the game i was also recently playing in a past episode you can actually go to the bitmap bureau's website and pick out the game pick up the game for sega genesis like on a cartridge you could get the dreamcast copy on a disc you can get the Neo Geo copy on one of those big honking Neo Geo cartridges. They have options if you are into that. But yeah, I've been playing it via the Evercade uh, handheld. That's fun. I think I've seen it played or I've seen footage of it. It definitely harkens back to the uh, the Smash TV vibe. Yes, it, it feels a lot like Smash TV, but a lot more, not a lot more gory because Smash TV is pretty gory, but a lot more like aliens themed. It's like alien yeah, gore. Instead of just killing dudes. Yeah, you're not just killing dudes. You're killing like monsters and like weird parasite things. It seems like a game I would enjoy since I like twin stick shooters. I think you would love Xenocrisis personally. Maybe I will pick it up on the Switch. Anyway, Seth, what have you been recently playing? I've been recently been playing uh, a game that came out on the Atari Lynx back in 1989. Ooh. It was developed by Epix, E-P-Y-X, and the game is Chip's Challenge. I, I was not playing it on my Atari Lynx because I don't own one of those. I was, in fact, playing it on Steam, and it's available on Steam for free. They remastered it? ish they re-released it for sure they, they definitely released it i don't know if they they remastered it you can play either the atari lynx version or the window version the one i'm more familiar with is the windows version but if i play the atari lynx version it's like playing a new game it was released by a company called niffler on steam in 2015 and the first one is free they also have chips challenge 2 and 3 available for nominal fees of like a couple bucks if you would like to know little bit about chips challenge you uh, have a straight down view of the field as it were and you have to use you control chip and you move around puzzles and mazes and you have to collect 
chips, uh, like computer chips, and you go through, you have to collect keys and open up locks and collect chips behind these locks and you eventually get harder and harder puzzles where you need where you need to collect like items maybe like fire boots so you can step on campfires or ice boots to step on ice water flippers (laughs) i was gonna say water boots but they're really just flippers uh like flippers to like swim in water and there's these also these like gravity boots so you can walk on these arrows that will propel you so you won't get propelled and there's uh 144 puzzles and i got through nine and then i decided i was done mostly because because i got frustrated the thing with chips challenge is if you die you're immediately reset back to the beginning of the puzzle so if you are very very close to completing a very very long puzzle and you die too bad yeah chips challenge is a is a it's a frustrating game it was one of those softwares that was installed by default by the windows team on windows computers back in the day so like computers would have it just on it somewhere which was great yeah because when i was in school we would use the computer lab and let me tell you what the computer lab had installed on it chips challenge it's because there was a period of time when Microsoft computers came bundled with specifically the Microsoft Entertainment Pack and the Best of Microsoft Entertainment Pack, right? Um, which was a software that contained a lot of games like Chips Challenge, like very simple, almost shovelware games right i would say though like chips challenge is like compared to like yoda stories and stuff like that chips yeah challenge is a little bit of a step above yeah but you probably would have found it in the same pack as like rodent's revenge oh yeah rodent's revenge is great and that uh the snake game yes yeah or ski free which is one of my favorites rodent's revenge is where you have to like push all those blocks to keep the cats away or crush the cats mm, yep. they, and they, they turn into cheese. cheese yeah and yeah, then you eat yeah, them. Yeah, oh yeah. god we should do an entire episode on pre-installed windows video games we could talk about space cadet pinball which was yeah uh, which was a lot of people lot, well a lot of people don't know space cadet pinball is just one board of an entire game yeah. that was sold in stores but no one ever played that game because we all had right. the one board that was important <laughs> that's right and let me tell you that and a shareware copy of doom and you have hours of entertainment you don't have to you could play pinball then you play a little bit of doom you don't even have to buy the full retail games you could just play those two games you're good anyway uh hopefully everyone who's listening's new year was safe and happy and you were able to ring in the new year uh do you have any uh, New Year tradition that you like to do? Me? Yeah. If I asked, if I asked our <laughs> listeners, it would be a while before they responded. But if yeah, if you have a New Year's tradition and you want to tell us, send us an email. Probably I'm gonna just sleep. <laughs> oh right. We usually watch the Twilight Zone, which is on twenty four seven. Do you? Yeah, I might do that too. I might watch the Twilight Zone. Uh, this year though, uh, Queer Eye will be having a new ep- new series season, so we're gonna watch that, and then we'll watch the Twilight Zone, and then at a- at eleven fifty five, I uh, we turn on Dick Clark's Rockin' New Year's, with unfortunately does not have Dick Clark nor Dick Clark's robot. It is now hosted by Ryan Seacrest, and we watch Ryan Seacrest bring in the new year. I just like watching the ball drop on New York. I think they're in New York, not on New York. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I do enjoy just watching that ball go down the the shaft. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, a tradition of mine is also to turn on Dick Clark's Rockin' New Year trademark um and in, enjoy the celebrations. I don't know, the countdown always is very memorable for me to do the 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 ten nine yeah eight speaking of a countdown what a great segue into today's episode this episode we're going to be talking about our top 10 retro console video games and our top 10 retro pc video games that the classic gaming brothers say these 20 games either defined us or we just can't live without mostly defined us we do have some honorable mentions we want to mention these guys did not make the list but we do want to mention that they were important to us as as people i would say the first game on this honorable mention list we're gonna just go with the order that they were written and not in any order of yes these are not in any specific order yeah so the first we actually talk about this game in one of our earlier episodes you can look for it's 
the fevered dreams episode it's a really good episode where we talk about uh weird games that we really didn't realize they were a thing and this game is space kids we didn't put down a lot of notes in the honorable mention section so I could just tell you, Space Kids was a a 90s microprose game where you played as two spaceships. And I imagine that this game would be a lot of fun if you are high. I think we brought this up when we were talking about Space Kids, but I think the thing that makes Space Kids most memorable for me is the fact that every version I've played of it has had non-functioning audio. The version we had, I remember the audio not working, and I also the version that I found online also had the audio not working. So I'm not quite sure if the audio ever worked on Space Kids for anyone, but it makes the game so much more haunting when you watch this game without any any audio right and i'm sure i don't think the audio is any anything that helps with the game it, the game is mostly driven through the action it's very like slapsticky kind of drama where yeah. uh these like kids are trying there's like a the, the moon's like a man and he's like sleeping and then and then you have to try to pilot a ship into a house well, you are a ship no oh no the kids are in the ship yes but the ship you is to, you have to pilot right. the ship into a house where that's the right. window is a mouth and yes. then you get inside and there's an elephant and he chases you and yes. then a bug flies up the elephant's nose yeah and i'm pretty sure the ship is alive and also yes, the ship carrying has eyes. the kids Yes. Simultaneously, you are the ship, but you are not the ship. It's a it's a trippy game. It is. It is. The next game on our honorable mentions list is Mist, which is certainly more grounded than Space Kids. Yeah, a Mist is it Mist, is, a Mist game. is also though a weird game. Mist, you could also probably have a good time playing if you were some form of intoxicated. <laughs> That's true, but I think you would mostly spend it lost. To be fair, I spend most of my time playing Mist lost anyway. Mist is also a uh, a 90s adventure game, similar to Space Kids in that <laughs> regard. <laughs> and that's where the similarities end. Mist, you're a, you're a traveler, and you're on an island, and you have to, on this island, solve puzzles to figure out where you are, and then you discover some books that have people trapped in them so then you have to solve puzzles to help these people get out of the books spoiler alert most of the people in the books are bad so there's uh the two brothers sirius and akiner but their father arcturus is a good guy so yeah mist did not make it to our list so the next uh, series of games that's on our honorable mentions is the Diablo series. I really loved the Diablo 1 game. I just felt like there was so many moments in it that are just like embedded in our culture, at least my culture. My wife and I are both fans of Deckard Kane and are constantly quoting, Stay a while and listen. Stay a while and listen. But I really enjoyed the, the first game, and that's why it's an honorable mention. Do you have any thoughts about i never really played diablo so i'm glad it's an honorable mention because i don't have any thoughts of it why have you not played any of the original diablo or diablo 2 diablo 3 no i haven't we never owned them i had to own diablo 1 yeah well i definitely never played it maybe it was too scary for you it might have been too scary for me one of these days though i would 100 percent recommend at least playing through diablo then you'll know the stay a while and listen it's a great game i haven't i haven't i didn't beat either of them though or any of them after after Diablo, one of the games that didn't make it to our our top 10 list is the Vector Man games. Uh, Vector Man 1 and Vector Man 2 are two Sega Genesis games that I'm a big fan of. They are very hard games. In the game, you play as a garbage man? Yeah, he's like a garbage robot. Yes, and he's made up of balls, but he can easily adapt into different shapes and stuff, so he can like turn into a helicopter. I really loved the physics in the game, where you can shoot down to slow your descent. Mm, yes, yeah. It's probably one of my favorite things in vector man we also have tailspin for the sega genesis as an honorable mention which was a a great little platforming game where you either play as baloo or his sidekick uh kit i was gonna say Mowgli, which is from the jungle book i think my favorite thing about tailspin in general not just the game is that disney looked at the jungle book and was like we need to turn this movie into something we can sell toys for and so they took the story and made the 
the animal characters into cargo pilots. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who have they, to they fight Shere Khan, the air pirate. <laughs> no, no. Shere Khan's not the air pirate. I thought he was an air uh, pirate, Captain. No, that the fox guy is uh, the pirate. Shere Khan is just like the guy who's trying to buy them. <laughs> He's like yes. the evil capitalist. <laughs> he's like the yeah. He's Monopoly man. He's just rich. yeah. He's just a wealthy rich man in a suit. He's trying to buy them out. He's trying to constantly buy them out. But there is what's the pirate name? Don Carnage. Don Don Carnage. <laughs> Don Carnage. He's a he's a wolf. He's Don a wolf. Carnage, yes, he's a wolf. That's the uh, air pirate. I think him and Sher Khan are in cahoots. Okay, yeah, yeah. But uh, but yeah, Don Kanaj does Sher Khan's like dirty work for him. Tailspin for the Sega Genesis is a is a very fun nostalgic game for me. I always feel bad though because on every list I've ever seen of top ten worst games for the Sega Genesis, Tailspin always ranks in at number two or three. Well, you know what the fun thing about Tailspin is? First of all, it's considered one of the Saturday morning Sega Genesis games, which it gets lumped in with like Lion King and Aladdin. So like GTFO with the Lion King, because that game is much harder than Tailspin. I beat Tailspin as a child. And Aladdin, I also beat. So Aladdin and Tailspin are both platformers, except Tailspin intersects different levels with shoot 'em up levels where you fly the seabird, which is their plane that can land on the sea. You have to not lose cargo and avoid getting shot at by pirates. So it's a two player, you can have two players and essentially one person flies the plane as Baloo and like shoots bullets or something. I don't, shoots something out. Meanwhile, the second player plays as Kit and is on his air surfer, which is from the show. It's like his, like he has like a little Frisbee disc that he flies on and shoots his like slingshot at the bad guys to shoot them down. I just know at the very, the last battle, you fight Don Carnage and his gigantic airship. Yes, he has a very big And airship. you have to go through all the different stages and then it gets shut down. I always liked the shoot 'em up phases more than the platforming. The platforming was fine. Kit had a slingshot in the platforming stages that you can use to shoot the guards. And Baloo had like a paddle for like a tabletop tennis, except the ball was on a string and he could like bounce it off of guys. I don't know how they were fighting people, but that's that's how they get through the action, the platforming levels. After uh, after Tailspin on our list, we have one thing I think was hard for me to pick and why it ended up on the honorable mentions list is any of the humongous games. So I'm just saying all of the humongous games deserve an honorable mention because they're all fantastic putt putt pajama sam freddy fish spy fox sure fatty bear why not we'll throw him out there all of the humongous games are a good time they're all point and click adventures very simple point and click adventures for children uh most of them can be beat in about a, a, a minute if you skip the cutscenes. but they are they are all a, a good time i think um especially like freddy fish and spy fox which i think were designed to be a bit more for like if pup putts for like preschool freddy fish and, and spy fox are for like second or third grade i think where they, they have a little bit more slightly older humor i wouldn't say like adult humor but they're a little more serious subject matter and the puzzles get a little more more complicated if you haven't played any of the games i would say maybe check out freddy fish i think it holds up probably the best of the entire humongous bunch all right so as you all have been patiently waiting in this episode uh it's time for our list we're gonna start with consoles and then we're gonna go to pc games if there is another retro game that we don't mention in this list that you think we should have this is our list so if you made your own list maybe it would rank higher or maybe we forgot because we do that a lot too <laughs> because there may be definitely games that we forgot Forgotten, which is why I said if we did this game list again, we may have forgotten. Anyway, to get on with the show, uh, coming in at number 10, Shining Force for the Sega Genesis. Shining Force is a game that came out in 1992, developed by Climax Entertainment and Sonic Software Planning. It's a turn-based RPG where you play as this night guy and you have to recruit your army and you got to kill the bad guys. There were sequels, which we played, Shining Force 2, which is the one that I think I have the most history of playing with. It is a great game. Uh, I really enjoyed watching this game be played uh, when I was a kid growing up, and I think this is a, um, a really defining game 
game that made me really start to appreciate uh, RPGs. And like the first time that I ever saw like slide in battle anime, like when you're fighting bad guys and like the boss comes in and then like I have clear visions of somebody playing this game and watching the battles and being like, this is really cool. It's also kind of a weird game. So unlike maybe Fire Emblem, which I think is probably the most easily comparable turn-based role-playing game, Shiny Force is not just like medieval RPG, but there's also like mechs at one point that show up yeah. in it. And there's like techno magic and stuff like that. Yeah. So it does kind of like mix around, I think, in genres that sometimes um, you don't really always get with RPG games of this era. I, I do love the fact that the box art for Shining Force 1 and Shining Force 2, at least for the uh, Mega Drive and Sega Genesis, the European and the the ntsc american release it's very like western eyes rpg looking like shiny force one looks like the cover looks like a dungeon and dragons module it does not feel like a jrpg game when you're looking at the box art like they definitely weren't trying to sell it as a jrpg game which makes sense it was the 90s and jrpgs weren't necessarily selling well um, it has the hallmarks of a JRPG where you have town segments and stuff like that. But the combat is a very much tactical RPG versus kind of more traditional turn-based party RPGs. And what I mean by that is that instead of engaging the enemy, like you have a little guy that represents your guy on the world map and you find a random encounter and then your group of four people jump on the screen versus their group of four people and you cycle through the attacks and defenses like a more traditional JRPG. Instead of that, when you go and engage in combat, it goes to a, an overview of the battle map and all your people are put out in various parts of the map and you have to move each one of them to engage the enemy and you can only engage like one enemy at a time but you'll have to use kind of like so you may have an archer but he can only shoot units that are two squares away so you may want to put like your knight in front of your archer and then when like the enemy comes your knight can hit them and then the archer can shoot an arrow from two squares away but if an enemy engages the archer the archer's got to back off or he has to engage in like a lower power melee attack and you're more it's more about positioning your units which is your party versus actually controlling like the attack patterns and stuff like that and using the right attacks because i believe even in the original shining force your attacks and what you can do as abilities were limited. You could attack, or you could use a special power, like heal somebody. But you couldn't be like, use a special attack. You would be like, just attack. And it's more about a positioning mindset, which actually ties back into my love of a PC game that we'll talk about later on. But yeah, so Shining Force, number 10. One quick thing before we leave Shining Force. Seth, did you know that Shining Force, the first game is not the first game. The The first game in the series is called Shining in the Darkness, and it's a dungeon oh. crawler for the Sega Genesis. I didn't even realize that until just now. I was looking it up. That's fun. That's a fun little fact. I had heard of Shining in the Darkness, did not know they were related. <laughs> We'll have to do an episode on all of Shining Force since it's our top 10 list and we haven't done an episode on it. Number nine, though, will be Rystar. Or some people may say Restar. I say Rystar, so that's what I'm going to say. Rystar is a 1995 Sega game. It was developed and published by Sega. And it's a, a platformer where you play as a star named Rystar. And it's it's hard to describe, but it's, I think, a really great platformer from this era so whereas you have games like mario or or sonic rystar just kind of stands out of the bunch you know he's not a quick character he can't jump on people he has to like throw his arms forward like stretchy arms and then headbutt mm -hmm. everyone i there's something about rystar where when you get a sense of how to control the character it feels so good to play the character because you'll be able to do tricks even though he's not a quick character he's not like sonic he's not fast you'll still be able to get through the level quickly by just manipulating 
manipulating the world around you, grabbing onto things, swinging from things. Uh, it just ends up becoming a really fun time. Also, probably has some of the best music on the Sega Genesis. Like, it's up there with, like, Rocket Knight Adventures or Sonic. But I would say if anyone ever tells you that the Super Nintendo had better music than the Sega, play music from Rystar because uh, that person will be proven wrong. Because Rystar has some of the best music uh, in general from that time period. It's great. It really fits the theme of the game. It uh, It's really poppy and fun. I think you made a really good point with saying that he was slow comparatively to the other platformers of the era. I think that when they were developing Rystar, I think they made a conscious effort to make a game that was a platformer that didn't rely on speed and trying to compete against like Sonic. They already had Sonic as a fast platformer so they needed something that was slowed down and a little more nuanced and I think that's where Rystar came into play and I I also really have the memories of the beginning where Rystar goes play with me that was a fun game it holds up it's fun it's uh unique and it's always uh interesting trying to learn it's also a challenge it is a tough game mm, yeah it is so coming in at number eight is Mario Kart 64, it's a kart racing game that was released in 1996. Now, Super Mario Kart for the SNES definitely deserves to be stated that it created the genre of kart racing. However, Mario Kart 64 really refined the genre and included the ability to play up to four players at once. And it was great. It was a a highlight of my childhood, as it was probably also of Zachary's childhood. And you knew if there was Mario Kart 64, for some pizza some soda you are in for an awesome night true bonds of friendship were made over mario kart 64 and uh perhaps tested bonds of friendship were made over mario kart 64 i actually played mario kart 64 with friends a couple years ago but we were playing mario kart 64 and we played an adult version of mario kart 64 which is called drunk driving Mario kart yes where uh you can't win the race unless you finish your drink and you can either drink to start off completely or you can drink when you fall off the map. And if you win the race, you have to immediately chug your drink or you're disqualified. The next game, number seven, is Super Mario World. Uh, This game, 1990, made by Nintendo. Personally, I think the reason I want to include this in the top 10 is because if you gave me a list of every single 2D Mario game, uh, I would say Super Mario World is probably the best. It feels like it's the most refined out of all the Mario games. So I think like Mario 1 is great. Mario 2, different, but still pretty good. Mario 3, it's like a better version of Mario 1. And then Super Mario World is like a better version of Mario 3. Everything that you liked about Mario 3, it's in here and it's way better. And also you get Yoshi. (laughs) Yeah. It just plays like the, the way you can chain attacks the the whole there's like that one sequence in the opening where you have to like hit the hit the koopa grab a shell and then throw the shell into a line of like 10 koopas and chain to a one-up um it's just like it's so satisfying every time you play it it's also one of those games that like i like boot up on my switch and i'll be like i'm just gonna play a couple of uh you know a couple of a couple of levels and then i'll end up like just beating it within like <laughs> a f- like a few hours like i'll just go through a sitting of like playing throughout the entire game i'll be like what happened like why did i beat this game again sort of deal but yeah uh, that's number seven number six star fox now when i say star fox the 1993 nintendo argonaut software 3d rail shooter was amazing for the snes in regards to pushing the platform to its limit however i would definitely say for top game for me would be star fox 64 star fox 64 similar to mario kart 64 really brought in like the shooter type of uh, genre to the N64. It has some iconic moments, iconic bosses, and multiple branching pathways. Like, even has carry through, so like, if one of your wingmates gets damaged, they're damaged in the next level. And just really the Star Fox franchise as a whole is a is a solid franchise and deserves its place on this, uh, this list, as it were. So after Star Fox, number five is Final Fantasy VI. 
Final Fantasy VI was developed and published by Square, released in 1994. In the United States, it's known as Final Fantasy III, and it's the last mainline Final Fantasy game that came out on a Nintendo console uh, until the games were re-released on, like, the Switch and, uh, I think, on the wii u and stuff like that in the game boy i think at least final fantasy 6 and final fantasy 5 so final fantasy 2 and 3 for everyone keeping track at home i think these games really defined the super nintendo in in terms of the rpgs that were available so like when i think of role-playing games for home consoles immediately my first thought is like the opening sequence of the final fantasy games on on super nintendo with the airships and stuff like that or it's just some of the classic music that was in those games or the battles that you had to go through uh, i mean these are epic games that feel so much larger than they might be in comparison to say a modern role-playing game but to this day i still think they're they're incredibly grand games and, and definitely worth the investment of time into them yeah for sure i uh, found fantasy 6 is probably one of my favorite role-playing games of all time which is why it is ranked relatively high on this list and zach obviously agrees with me since i think he put it on this list but it's just the for me the characters in six are really my probably my favorite final fantasy characters and i really enjoy how the groups the kind of group works together and how everyone all the how the story kind of unfolds and five is also uh that's what cecil the dragoon i had a time period when i was in high school where i played through both six and five i wanted to play through all of them or something like that it was some quest that i was on and i played through five and six and uh both of them are wonderful games number four super mario 64 released in 1996 the 3d platformer by nintendo it created the games that are known as collectathon and gave birth to games similar to mario 64 such as spyro and banjo kazooie various different other type of platforms that have also spawned off of it obviously million billion sequels that have come off of mario 64 with the latest being mario odyssey and really was a great flagship title to be launched with the n64 i played as much as of it as i could have without owning it when i was younger and have beaten it as an adult i just love the variety and levels it really reflects the mario genre as a whole i feel like with the additions of the paintings in the castles versus like going through the worlds it feels like so like the i don't know i feel like the the worlds are more separate in mario 64 than they were in previous mario iterations i felt like with mario 64 with each of the worlds instead of being like a placement on the map but being pictures that you jumped into they had kind of like clear themes that were more i think more expanded upon than just like sun world or like big people world or (laughs) something like that it was just i felt like it was um a really great iteration of mario and and obviously we're we're fans of mario because it's on this list multiple times i think also with super mario 64 it is also one of those games that i think personally i will go into and have different experience almost every time i play it like i can play certain levels like the bomb battlefield always the same but for some reason i'll just notice something different every time i play it's one of those games that i think is just memorable for a lot of reasons and for a lot of different people moving forward Number three is GoldenEye 007. GoldenEye 007 came out in 1997. It was developed by Rare. It's a first-person shooter based on the movie of the same name. And it is just the, like, absolute quintessential party game. Like, you know, Mario Kart 64 is good. Mario Party is good. GoldenEye 007 is the game to play when you have a group of friends over and you just want to goof around and play something fun that everyone can enjoy goldeneye 007 is the go-to i think my favorite thing with goldeneye 007 is just the wide variety of modes you can play be it slappers only license to kill proxies uh you know there's all different game variants ways that you can play the game all different maps cheats that you can enable it's just an experience you don't get with um modern shooters these days i feel like pretty much since not 
not to like sounds like an old man but not pretty much since like call of duty became the standard and you just or like halo became the standard you just don't get the variety in my opinion that you get with a golden eye 007 i think that's also plays into a fact that like call of duty and halo are trying to be something different they're trying to be creating a balanced esport environment they're trying to make sure that they graphics are the highest fidelity as they can and i think they're they're trying to be uh, an experience that's more gamified call of duty makes it so that you need to play the next season there's like objectives for you to do and goldeneye wasn't trying to do anything like that goldeneye wasn't trying to be balanced goldeneye wasn't trying to be anything more than just a multiplayer component of this single player game of going through the movie as it were but rare just went above and beyond with the development of this game to where this game could have been a bad movie tie-in that nobody liked like other 007 games yes yeah (laughs) it's just a bad movie tie-in and the game is mediocre at best in a vacuum is goldeneye 007 the best first person shooter around no but during the late 90s was it the best party game around probably and it was fun like that's at the end of the day it's still fun yeah like it's just and it's funny like the people look funny in it the graphics are great and it's some of the graphics are because of the limitations of the console but honestly they you know like even like jaws and Objob, they just look funny especially when they're polygonal all right number two sonic the hedgehog two developed in 1992 uh by sega it's the game that zach learned to hold a game controller with and to be fair i did as well i i we both really played a lot of sonic 2 i mean we both beat the game i think zach's probably beaten the game in the last few months yeah it's (laughs) a fast platformer where it's frantic kind of gameplay and um got that frenetic energy is the kind of uh game and you're uh you're playing as a blue hedgehog we actually just did an entire lore episode diving into the lore of sonic if you want to check that out it's episode 107 and uh it's great i i'm sure zach can speak a little bit on it as well if you had to tell me there was only one sonic game that i could play for the rest of my life it would be sonic 2 it is a game that i have never been bored of and i've always loved playing and um like i know for a fact i'm not the i probably couldn't speed run it the way like some experts can but that doesn't matter for me it's just like playing sonic 2 is just a good time and a time that I always have that I find enjoyable. It's also a game that's very memorable to me for a lot of reasons. I mean, it is one of probably the first console games that I ended up ever playing, which kind of leaves a special place in my heart to the point where I've I've started to collect versions of Sonic 2 that have been released, um, including the recently given gift from my my dear brother of the Sonic 2 Japanese release, which um, was nice to nice to receive for Christmas, and it, it looks beautiful on my shelf. There's something about Sonic 2 that I think is different from Sonic 1 that's different than Sonic 3 and that just pulls me into it every single time that I see it. Right. It was also the pack-in for one of the versions of the Sega Genesis. Yeah, it was, was, I think, the pack-in for the Model 2. Model 2, which was the first model that we had. Because we had the Model 2, then we got the Model 3, then we had the Model 1. Pretty sure the I'm pretty sure the copy that I have boxed, one of the copies I have boxed, is the not for resale copy that was bundled with, with the, the pa- yeah it was Model the packing one yeah yeah finally number one is ocarina of time 1998 developed by nintendo uh and we talked about this a lot in episode 91 and we followed it up in episode 92 with our majora's mask episode but personally i think ocarina of time is one of if not the best video games of all time period it is a massive adventure that just puts you through so many different challenges and gives you so much replayability and is such a memorable cinematic experience every time you play it from the moment you start the game and you get the intro about the three goddesses and how the energy of the triforce exists to the introduction of link where you see the fairy flying first person through the kokori 
Tree Village and then um, meeting Link. And then you just like right off the bat, you get full control of this character. You can explore this world. Um, You know, you go headfirst into your first dungeon. And then the moment you're out of the Lost Woods, it is just this massive world that you can tackle any direction you want and yeah there is like a you're, you are supposed to it is it's more of a linear game that i think I, I make it feel like but nintendo i think made the smart decision by keeping the game linear but making it feel open so that it allowed you to really play the game at your pace um and i think that is something that a lot of zelda games thankfully kept and they got that from ocarina of time but i think ocarina of time is definitely the one that we can thank for that because i think it really really did set the standard for modern open world games in in general it's not as open world as the original zelda which is also a great game or as open world as z2 which is also a game ocarina of time is a game that i enjoyed so much that i had it permanently installed on a jump drive in the early 2000s and i would take it with me and play it on random computers in computer labs in the university and stuff like that and i think like mario 64 i think like i mentioned ocarina of time is also one of those games that every single time i play it i notice something new that i haven't noticed before or i see something that i appreciate differently than uh maybe the last time i played the game you know as i've gotten older i've come to kind of learn a bit more about the game making process and to understand how they are able to do certain things to make the game look the way it does uh, i think it's a massive achievement for for nintendo and i definitely think it's a game that deserves the number one spot but we're not done at all because we have 10 more games we have to go through and that is the 10 games for the pc right starting off number 10 vampire the masquerade bloodlines uh, it's a 2004 action RPG developed by Troika and published by Activision for Microsoft Windows. And Seth, I haven't played a lot of Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, so you're going to have to take it away on this one. <laughs> this is actually the youngest game on our list, I just want you to know. And Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines is a role-playing game that I just felt was so well done and so under-recognized as a well-done game that I just I just needed to include it. I needed to put it on our list. I need to talk about it. It's a great game. Troika knocked it out of the park with this game. Uh, it is still playable, still relevant today, and opens up a world of a whole role-playing universe that not a many people are aware of because if i say dungeon and dragons today's day and age you'll know what i'm talking about uh D is a well-known role-playing game franchise vampire the masquerade's a a game that was developed by white wolf and is now owned by paradox studios be that as it may vampire the masquerade is part of a universe that was created where vampires werewolves wraiths and all these creatures exist there's rules so you can play them and they all have their own kind of horror aspect and it's a personal horror game and i think that's the those are the best stories especially in a role-playing sense where the game it's not you're not necessarily the good guy and you're not necessarily the bad guy either but there is something wrong with you and you need to face that and there is this aspect of this personal horror and you go through and you uncover these this uh these aspects and this game in particular has one of the scariest and most well done maps period it is a ghost map and you have to navigate through a haunted hotel and i would love to be in zachary's position and be able to play through this ghost map blind and not have played it a million times to know where all the jump scares are it's great and it's put in into other different types of gameplay so it's not all like jump scares and horror it's just a horror section like a ghost section which is and it's done great so vampire the masquerade bloodlines uh 100 top 10 number 10 though number nine is going to be the longest journey developed in 2000 by funcom it's a point and click adventure game which really features such an epic and kind of i would say outland it is kind of an outlandish story where you play as a character known as april ryan and you are 
able to shift between these different worlds. And throughout the game, you can go through this, like, fantasy world and this, like, dystopia future world. As April, you're trying to balance this, like, these two worlds. One's, like, overly dependent on technology the other one's all on fantasy and you're trying to balance them back together and it is just one of those adventure games that if somebody says to me hey seth you have played a lot of adventure games in your life what adventure game would you want me to play to get me to like adventure games i would say the longest journey followed by gabriel knight but gabriel knight's a very niche love (laughs) Um, but longest journey can be appreciated by everybody. Well, number number eight is Baldur's Gate Two. Baldur's Gate Two was developed in two thousand by Black Isle. It's a computer role playing game in isometric view with six controllable party members with real time with pause action, uh, and it's this sweeping epic story. So Baldur's Gate, Baldur's Gate Two. Uh, these are they uh, to, to use the term again. These are massive games. These are games that are massive role playing games um, that to some might seem daunting, but I think if people give them a chance, they'll be able to experience something great. And uh, that's at least my, been my experience when I've played Baldur's Gate. So the thing with Baldur's Gate Two and the reason why Baldur's Gate Two is here versus Baldur's Gate One is actually back to the. Uh, Ocarina of Time conversation where we talk about this open world feeling linear game. Baldur's Gate 2 has that versus Baldur's Baldur's Gate 1 is a little more open world than Baldur's Gate 2. Baldur's Gate 1 says hey there's some problems with the mines maybe go check it out and you can go pretty much do whatever you want the second you're able to control your character you can do whatever you want. Having recently beat the original comparatively to the second one the second one is a is a masterpiece. The second one gives you directions you have clear objectives and you have a sense of urgency so not only do you have to go and do this particular task you have to do it because you have to rescue someone and you have to raise money and in order to raise money you have to do these big quests and you have to do these quests quickly because you don't know how what's going to happen to the person you need to rescue and you kind of unfold this onion of a story and the Baldur's Gate series really in it if you take it and look at it as one giant picture it's this arc of this normal person ascending up through pretty much godhood and going and adventuring with this person all the way Baldur's Gate 2 really tells a story within itself of a brother and a sister who are very loyal to each other and the importance of family and the reason why family exists and that's why Baldur's Gate 2 is here. Uh, I mean, within this kind of tier of honorable mentions, there's Planescape Torment, the Icewind Dale series, and so on and so forth. Yeah. yeah. All really great RPGs by Black Isle. Number seven, Half-Life. 1998 first-person shooter developed by Valve and originally published by Sierra Studios. You play as Gordon Freeman and you fight aliens? Yes. Also, of this ranking, I would also like to include Team Fortress Counter-Strike and all the mods that Half-Life spawned. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I think for me, one of the reasons why Half-Life deserves a spot on this list, though, is because what it did to the first-person shooter genre. To give you a little idea of first-person shooters before Half-Life, they were games like Doom and Quake. And we're going to talk about one of those games coming up, but I'm not going to tell you which one. And those are fine games. Doom and Quake are great games. Um, In fact, there's a reason why one of them is going to be coming up. But I think what Half-Life did was it took a genre that was primarily defined as something that was kind of bombastic and over the top and said let's tell a story and i think that's something that half-life does really well because it tells the story completely from a first from a first person perspective from the moment the game begins to the moment the game ends you always are in complete control of gordon freeman apart from one segment where you get knocked unconscious but even then you are still in 
Gordon Freeman's perspective. Um, so the game has pretty much no cutscenes that are like traditional cutscenes you would get from other first-person shooters or other uh, games in general. So even the opening segment where Gordon Freeman is going to work is a playable segment of you riding the tram uh, and then getting off the tram, walking to your like suit that you have to wear, and then going down to the test chamber before the accident happens. And I think the first, like the first 20 minutes of Half-Life, something that has to be played to be properly understood because the way Valve builds the world that you're entering, I think is something that, it's just something that I think modern video games owe a lot to Half-Life for. The, the fact that, you know, you enter this you enter this facility that you know nothing about besides what you can put together um, just from visual cues and all of the characters walking around you all have their own personalities. They all, um, you know, have their own quips. There's uh, little details that you see like, um, you know, uh, jokes written on chalkboards and stuff like that. It's, uh, it's all the, those fine, fine details that I think um, that might seem like something that you would get in any modern shooter these days but th- it came from half-life that's the that's the cold hard fact is that half-life the fact is half-life is the reason we have those type of games we we also don't want to um, exclude the multiple mods that half-life gave birth to but moving forward our next game number six is civilization 2 1996 turn-based strategy game uh and it's the second game in the civilization series this game was published and developed by Microprose and currently Civilization is on its sixth iteration. So there have been six games in the Civilization series, but this is the second one we're going to focus on. I think Civilization 2 is a game that is great, um, but I think Seth has more to say on the matter. Yeah, I love this game. This game is my beginning of my 4X love. Uh, so 4X is, we've used this term before, describe like Crusader Kings and Total War is can be a little bit of a 4X. So 4X stands for Explore, Expand, Exploit, Exterminate. That's what you do in the, these type of games. And Civ 2 was my first interaction with it. We had the jewel case version of Civ 2 and I don't know where we got it from. I just loved it. it, you, it it's like the one more turn type of games where you're just like, I got to play one more turn. And like the first time I was playing at some point in time, I had nuclear weapons and everyone was mad at me for having nuclear weapon, the nuclear weapons. And so they would come, they would send me emissaries and they would, little pop-up messages would be like, oh, listen, I'm really disappointed with you that you have nuclear weapons. And I would say, I'm sorry. And then I would bomb them with my nuclear weapons <laughs> but but nuclear weapons in civ 2 only eliminated half the population of a city and then it would eliminate them half again and half again and half again and it would just keep eliminating half of them but it would never outright destroy them so you could bomb them with like 30 nuclear weapons but they would always be there and they'd always be mad that you have them yeah it was a uh, i i love all iterations of the civ series i think it's a it's a great it's a great game it's one of those games where if you have a free day and you have a friend that has a similar 4x love then you can just sit down and you could just play a long game of civilization to possibly end in frustration where you just you get wiped out but um i'm, I'm not very good at the civ games but i definitely civ 2 i also i just want to mention that the civ 2 box art is just so great it just sh- shows like this uh this ship along with some like uh carthaginian elephants you got the pyramids in the background you've got like the statue of liberty you have some modern civilization in sepia tone in the back and it's just like a really kind of like an encapsulation of the game and just one image and when i see that i'm just like that's the civ that i grew up playing that's my civ everyone's got their own civ civ 2 is mine number five doom with a nod to checks quest yes Doom was developed in 1993. It's a first-person shooter. You play as Doom Guy, and you shoot demons on Mars. It's not the game that created first-person shooters, but it's the game that it created first-person shooters. I mean, it's not the first, but it is the first. I mean, you know, like Wolfenstein 3D came before it, but Doom is is I think the is the the game that really set us on a, a trend for what first-person shooters would become. And I, I think the thing about Doom is that it 
is a fun game and i don't mean that lightly i don't i I, like you can load up doom and just have a blast every time you play it pun completely intended though i do want to say chex quest probably has the heart the the closer place in my heart and while i would have put chex quest down for number five uh i mean it we wouldn't have chex quest without doom and and chex quest is the the game that means a bit more to me Doom is the game that gave us Chex Quest. And for that, I can never be mad at Doom because they gave us Chex Quest. But number four, though, is Return of the Phantom with a nod toward uh, Dragon Sphere and Rex Nebular in the Cosmic Genderbender. Return of the Phantom came out in 1993. It's a microprose game. And um, all three of these games are really microprose's answer to the LucasArts slash Sierra Online adventure games that were dominating the uh, gaming market at the time. Uh, microprose stepped in and were like, hey, we want a piece of that adventure game pie. So they created a engine and they made three games in this engine. And those games were Rex Nebular, Return of the Phantom, and Dragon Sphere in that order. Right. I think they get better in quality as they age. So, like, yes. Rex Nebular was a, a good game. Uh, Return of the Phantom was a better game. And Dragon Sphere was the best game. I, I just think Return of the Phantom is a game that is hilarious. like i I just laugh every time i play that game (laughs) i think the reason that return of the phantom is the best of the three is because dragon sphere is actually a pretty serious game and zach and i have not played a lot of rex nebular so we don't have as much nostalgia to rex nebular and dragon spheres is more of a serious game return of the phantom is a game that's trying to be serious but is really really silly especially because there's just like the voice work is a little over the top and i just there's like things that just when i when i play the game where i'm like i'm playing the game and then all of a sudden i'm in the like the backstage and the backstage manager is like sniffing like he's on cocaine oh yeah it's just some really silly voice work and i think that's probably the reason why return of the phantom is our number one because it's it's a great it's a silly game and also tells the story of the phantom of the opera which is one of my favorite musicals number Number three is Star Wars Dark Forces, a 1995 first-person shooter developed and published by LucasArts, and you play as Kyle Katarn, who's a mercenary who eventually learns how to use the Force and a lightsaber, and the game is great. It is a wonderful first-person shooter. Uh, it's mission-based and really introduced like jumping mechanics to me and kind of gave me the feeling that I wasn't just a floating gun on one level playing field type of deal like i was actually embodying a person like i had like a 3d avatar and that's kind of like how that that game felt to me the dark forces and all the sequels obviously going into like jedi outcast and jedi academy just really were fun they're good star wars games they're a great action i think jedi outcast 2 was probably one of my favorite uh star wars action games and has the voice talents of billy d williams in them so what more can you ask for out of all the dark forces games i think jedi outcast is the best it's great and i think one of the reasons it's so great it's the first and to this day probably the only game that i've played that knows how to do lightsaber combat in a way that feels the most satisfying just because whenever you use a lightsaber in that game it just feels like you're using a lightsaber you you know you if you walk too close to the wall with the lightsaber ignited it leaves a like a line cutting into the wall it kills people if you walk too close i'm pretty sure I think my favorite moment in Jedi Outcast was the Cloud City mission. You have your, you're starting to get your force powers unlocked and you enter into a room and there's like six or seven stormtroopers. And I just remember going to that room and activating force speed and just lightsabering them all. And by the time my force speed ran out and time resumed, I had they all just dropped at the same exact time. Yeah. And it was just it, like, it, it, it's it, like moments it like felt that. Great. It, it's, uh, or like um, when you develop full force choke, 
you can like lift people up and throw them around just toss you just get such a sense of force power in that game that like even like modern like jedi fallen order like i don't get that feeling when i play jedi fallen order uh, which is unfortunate because i think jedi fallen order is a great game but i think a jedi outcast did it better now number two is XCOM UFO Unknown 1994 developed by Mythos Games and Microprose. Uh, it's a science fiction strategy video game where you play as people who have to kill aliens and most of the time you're getting killed by those aliens. XCOM is a very fun but difficult strategy game and when you are successful in XCOM you feel smart. It was also very scary as a child playing XCOM but UFO Defense, Terra from the Deep, these games were they rake so high because they were really an integral part of my childhood and I really like uh, strategy games because of playing these games i was never very good at them i was good enough so i could play them for a while but uh it was they they're they're tough tough games to play finally number one is warcraft with also mentioned to starcraft warcraft was originally released in 1994. It's a real-time strategy game where you play as humans or oryx. Uh, 95 was Warcraft 2. 96 was the X-Pact Warcraft 2. And 98 was Starcraft. I love all of them. Warcraft 1 was is still amazing. I was talking to my father-in-law at Christmas about Warcraft 1. And about the situation that I ended up in where I was fighting the computer. And I mined three different mines and mined 32,000 gold, which I thought was a lot, and produced somewhere around the neighborhood of like, I think I produced somewhere around 30 something units. Uh, A lot of knights. I made a lot of knights. That's where all my money went into dead knights. I, maybe more, I don't know. Regardless, the computer ended up mining 96,000 gold from one mine. Which, yeah, is definitely not possible to do for a human character to pull, do. I thought I mined a lot with 32, and that was draining three mines. Yeah, it is. Yet somehow the computer found one that had 96,000 gold, and that's okay. The computer's going to cheat in Warcraft. <laughs> yes, yes. The computer always cheats in Warcraft. Uh, I, I love all the Warcraft games. I especially love Warcraft 2 because I, I mentioned this in a previous episode, but I think Warcraft 2 has a lot of quality of life improvements that Warcraft 1 neglected. Uh, or just they they weren't like a thing yet because Warcraft 1 is such an early real-time strategy game. Not to say that there aren't ways to mod Warcraft 1 to add some quality of life improvements, but Warcraft 2 had them off the bat. So I give them a little, you know, a little extra star for that. But yeah, Warcraft, I think, I think Warcraft is well-deserved of number one title. I really like that the voices are all the same for the people in in Warcraft 1. <laughs> my liege, my lord, my lord, my liege, my lord, my lord. Yes, my lord. It's that some of the buildings have their own little sound effects, but some of them are just a click. Yeah. And that's going to be the end of our longer episode of our countdowns. Uh, we do have our byway pass segment, and then we're going to end this. Now, the byway pass. I'm so excited. I'm going to go first, though. All right, Zach. This game will be out in 2022. Okay. And it's a, a dark menace is consuming the Old West. You can play a solo or co-op, and it's a visceral, explosive it's a it's a visceral explosive game where you have to fight against bloodthirsty mis- mis- monsters. Yeah, where you fight against bloodthirsty monstrosities. Oh, what game is this? This game is Evil West. We're going to take a short break as Zach does some research. And we're back. Uh, so Evil West, Flying Wild Hog is the developer being published by Focus Home Interactive coming out hopefully in 2022. That's, they just, that's what they say. So, um, yeah, this looks to be like, it's going to be a a really cool game. Um, personally, I am very interested in it. I am most interested to see how the co-op plays out. So, um, I'm going to put this down as a 
weight but this weight is only because um i want to see if anyone else might be interested in owning this game and playing it with me because i would like to really play it in co-op i prefer most games i like playing in co-op if they have the option so uh yeah wait just but but the caveat that I, i'm going to be asking my friends if they're interested in the game as well now seth are you ready for your game i am so this game seth is a it's a role-playing game it has some roguelike elements in the game, you can customize your teammates' AI, um, it, it, like their behavior, so that um, your battles go a certain way when you play this game. Um, it is very combat-centric. Are you interested? Sure. This game is called Dual Corp. It is due out quarter one, 2022. We'll be back after this short break. And we're back. This is an interesting game. I like the aesthetics. I am usually not the biggest roguelike fan, but I think I'm actually going to put this down as a wait and look to see how it comes along. But yeah, it looks kind of interesting. All right. All right. Let's roll us out. So uh, thank you everyone for listening uh, this far. And uh, thank you for listening to this year of Classic Gaming Brothers. If you liked this episode, if you think that we missed any games, if you want to complain about the games we picked, you can email us at classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com or you can contact us through our website, www.classicgamingbrothers.com. You can also reach out to us via social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, and Twitter. Our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch are Classic Gaming Brothers. Our Twitter is CG Brothers Pod. And uh, as always, you can find us on all the various podcasting applications. Be sure to like and rate us if you feel so inclined. We'd appreciate it. Um, but thank you, everyone, for listening. And we hope you like what's coming in 2022. Besides that, though, Seth, is there anything I'm forgetting? Don't play games like my brother. And don't play games like my brother. I've been Seth. And I've been Zach. And we've been the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. And now for a year of celebrity deathmatch inside jokes. <laughs>